Hello everyone. Today we start something new. Uh, it's one of the topics. Uh, you'll notice that with the topics we're a little bit more um, free-flowing with our words and, and um, with talking and going back and forth. Um, reason is that when we're doing verses uh, and when we're doing Bible in particular, we want to make sure that we hit uh, every verse. We want to make sure we hit good explanations so that everybody has a good offense and defense. Um, if you need to explain uh, what you're reading um, and also if you want to learn what you're reading as well. Um, so now we're going to start uh, a small season of introductions. We'll be introducing truth. We'll be introducing uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the different topics that we'll eventually hit. So we'll start with truth. And uh, I thought a very good quote to start with is from Socrates, actually. Um, it says, the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, this basically says that if you don't examine your own life, if you don't examine what you believe, uh, you might be living a lie and you don't even know it. Um, to live a life that is unexamined is to live a possible and probable lie. Uh, and most humans hate hypocrisy. Uh, we hate masquerades. We hate uh, people with masks, people lying to us. Uh, they play with our time. They play with our emotions. Um, as we try to examine our worldviews, um, we need to make sure that we're not being hypocritical ourselves. We want worldviews that are that are good. Now, what is a worldview? Uh, quite simply, it is the belief you and I have that help us view the world. It is how we interpret reality. And so every single person has a worldview. If you deny that you have a worldview, you still have a worldview because your worldview is that there are no worldviews. Yeah, your denial is just part of it. <laughs> exactly. One major way we act in a hypocritical way is through our worldviews. It's when we believe something, but we act something else. And so we need to be careful that when we have a worldview, that it lines up. If you're a Christian in particular, and you say you're a Christian, your worldview needs to lie under the Bible. It needs to make sense under that. Um, so a hypocritical thing, for example, would be if I tell my wife um, not to swim in a filthy river. It should never, ever be done. Uh, yet a week from now, she is driving, sees me in the river, swimming, and of course, she'll be astounded. And well, if I say, well, it was just, you know, the rule doesn't apply to Thursdays between 2.37 and 4.15. Well, that exception was opposite to my claim. My life did not live out my belief. And so my claim is now hypocritical. So in the same way, we need to make sure that we have good worldviews with good foundations um, and that they're consistent. Uh, we don't want to be hypocrites. We want to be people that have complete worldviews. And that doesn't mean that you don't fail your worldview. That doesn't mean that you don't mess up. That's not what this means. We're talking about being consistent. Um, now our worldview, as it indicates in the name itself, means that it should touch us in all areas. Uh, there should be no contradictions, no faulty evidences. Uh, the tendency for many is to avoid questions 
because they challenge us and, and sometimes that's hard and, and and if we have a deeply held belief we don't sometimes want to touch those beliefs but avoiding a difficult question will not make it go away um, in fact when we don't examine our worldviews it causes us a lot of times to live like hypocrites simply because we don't want to think So, in science or philosophy, they talk about laws, theories, etc. What's the difference? A law is something that's proven time and time again, kind of like gravity. So, think about gravity. No matter how much a child thinks they can fly, whenever they jump, they will fall to the ground, cape and all. This will not change. It's a law. Basically, everyone can agree to it. There is um, what's called the law of non-contradiction, and it's pretty easy to understand, but it is somewhat hard to apply. So the law of non-contradiction basically says what it implies in its name. No proposition can be both true and false at the same time and in the same sense. This is an irrefutable fundamental principle of logical thought. In fact, when some have tried to get rid of it, they end up proving it. So, this means two things. Um, sorry, this means when two things are contrary to each other, they cannot be true, both of them, at the same time. For example, 2 plus 2 cannot equal 4 and equal 20. It can only equal 1 or the other. 1 being 4 or 20, not the number 1. <laughs> You can't have a person that is dead and alive. That would be a contradiction. Okay, there is also um, self-refuting arguments. And this concept's a little bit deeper, but it's very useful. So it basically claims that um, there are some claims that defeat themselves. Okay, a silly example might be, this blue shirt, which I hold in my hand, is not a blue shirt because blue shirts do not exist. Another one might be, I cannot write in English, which begs the question, what language was the sentence written in? These are important to sift through, and there's so many ideas all around us, these concepts, the law of non-contradiction, the self-refuting argument, they can help us kind of sift through all of the ideas and figure out, okay, what's a solid belief? What's a solid worldview? And what is not? What doesn't make logical sense? They help us not to be deceived, and they can even help us from deceiving ourselves. It's been said that self-deception is infinitely expandable. I don't believe that anyone wants to be deceived, even by themselves, and this gives us some solid ground to stand on. It's important that we look at the concept of ideas versus persons. So we're basically going to set up a disclaimer for, for the entirety of the rest of the podcast. If you check the website for the website as well. Um, we're probably going to offend you. Uh, what we have studied... Somebody. 
not everybody, maybe. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Maybe everybody. I don't know. Uh, I know this thing, some of the things that we've studied have offended us. Um, and we have to take the concept that if, if the Bible truly is God's and he truly is God, then he is going to have a different standard than me, which means that he's going to offend me at some point in time. It's going to rub against something that I want. Um, but before you walk away, before you turn off your headset, as thinking beings, we should examine ideas. Whatever we're presented, we need to examine it before accepting or denying it. And we need to figure out if it's true or not. Whoever you are, it does not matter. You are smart enough to sift through these concepts. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, it doesn't matter who it is. God gave us those basic abilities. A lot of times we get upset at an idea for at least two reasons. Maybe there's more, but two that we could come up with. First, the concept attacks something that is dear to us. So when something is dear to us, whether it's right or wrong, we are automatically on defense because we don't want this dear idea to be wrong. The other possible reason is that we might be wrong, which is not necessarily fun. Yet when we admit we're wrong, change our mindset and move on, it can also be cleansing that now we know we're on more solid ground. Our worldview shifts. We have what is called a paradigm shift. So before you get offended and feel like walking away, examine the ideas we present with your own. See if they match up. If they don't, Try to debate, try to argue them or not argue them. Um, this is the best and most honest way to approach ideas. The, the worst way to approach ideas is to force them on other people. That's not the proper way to, to debate. In fact, um, further along in the podcast, we'll actually make an argument that those people that use violence and threats actually have the weakest of ideas because they can't argue. They can't defend it from a good position. So we're basically asking to have an open mind. Have an open mind does not mean that you need to accept every single one of these ideas. Instead, consider them, weigh them honestly to see if they're superior or inferior to your own beliefs. We would also ask that you be tolerant of the views of others. Now, we hesitate to use this word because it's been skewed, misused, and redefined in many circles. The actual definition is to be able to hear other views and tolerate them. In other words, let them have their own views. They can have their own views and you can have yours, and both can live in peace while calmly debating each other's ideas. The goal of this is to find the best and most probable view to arrive at truth. There must always be respect, especially in disagreement. Unfortunately, many today view tolerance as forcing others to listen, agree, or accept, and sometimes even celebrate, causing all other disagreeing voices to be shut out. This is actually the very definition of intolerance, or closed-mindedness. When someone is screaming about others being intolerant, they are themselves being that very thing. Closely tied with this view of tolerance is an, is an attack on a person without knowledge of them. It's, it's actually a fallacy. It's called the ad hominem. Many will claim that because of opposing views, their position is phobic or hateful or dumb. 
this is an attack on a person without any desire to tackle the actual issues. If there is a problem with an idea a person is presenting, we need to analyze the idea and point out its weaknesses, not the perceived weaknesses of the person presenting the idea. I actually joke around with my wife sometimes. I, I say that if I ever get into a debate, one of my few rules would be that if they start attacking my character, I win. Because that means they've run out of ideas. And since this is a controlled environment, those attacks will be removed and considered as victories for our side in the debate stage and throughout the site. Um, and if we have guests in the podcast, same thing. Since there needs to be an assumption that the person accusing is simply scared that their view is wrong. Let's start this. There's this concept of crippled claims. Let's start by establishing a fundamental principle about knowledge. In order to do that, we must question if there is even such a thing as truth to be known. Okay, so a common claim can be made about well, a common claim is made by many about truth, and that is that there are no absolutes. Let's apply a little bit of what we've learned so far. We can see that this concept is actually one of those self-refuting arguments. To say there are no absolutes is an absolute statement itself. <laughs> so, you're claiming that there are no absolutes, but you're saying that it is absolutely true that there are no absolutes. Okay, well, that kind of seems like there are absolutes. Therefore, that statement can't be true. Okay, another statement is there is no truth. That in and of itself is a truth claim. And again, that's self-refuting. It's claiming that there is no truth by saying that the statement itself is true, and that's pretty inconsistent logically. This whole idea is where the worldview of relativism fails. Relativism is the belief that truth, reason, and morals are malleable or flexible. In this worldview, there are no absolutes or objective truths, which, as shown above, are both self-refuting arguments. A common story is told in an attempt to prove this point. The story of six blind people feeling an elephant, they all feel something different. One feels something like a spear, one feels something more like a snake, one feels something they would describe as a wall, etc. Each person feels something different, so their impression is what they believe to be truth. So truth must be relative. Well. There are a couple of problems with this view. Maybe you thought of them. First, they are assuming that all people, including you and me, are incapable of finding truth if we try. It's assuming we're all blind in some sense. Um, that's not very encouraging to me, but to you and to the rest of history, I, it doesn't seem very encouraging to anybody to say that none of us are able to figure out any type of truth. The second major issue is that the story contradicts itself. The narrator of the story sees and recognizes that all these blind men are wrong in their conclusions because he recognizes that they are t all touching an elephant. There is a truth, and it is seen by the teller. Let's tackle this a different way. If relativism is correct, it is wrong by its very definition. Consider this. If relativism is true, 
there are no absolute truths. If there are no absolute truths, then relativism can't itself be true. If you believe everyone needs to believe in relativism, then you are imposing that belief on others, which is against the tenets of relativism, which says everyone has their own interpretation. There are just several self-refuting problems just in those handful of statements. It is also unfeasible in a practical sense. For example, if relativist A may say stealing is bad, while relativist B may find it perfectly fine to steal. If relativist B steals from relativist A, then relativist A will be in an outrage and morally indignant, and rightfully so. They might even demand that relativist B return their belongings, but this goes against the tenets of relativism. Relativism A does not want relativist B to act on his truth. Now, if you believe there are no morals, you cannot be outraged at murder or theft because the murderer or thief simply acted out on their own personal morals. They did what they wanted to at that moment. It would be inconsistent to demand that they act differently. Relativism also makes it impossible to define any terms. Kindness by one standard can be hatred to another. There are no norms for anyone, which becomes illogical and impractical. Yet another point where relativism is inconsistent is the hypocrisy of belief in truth in only certain realms of life. If you believe there is no truth, yet you believe in mathematics, science, or medicine, your worldview has some serious holes in it because those all require objective truth. If a doctor says you have cancer or diabetes, you can't believe your way out of it. You can't believe yourself to have a bigger bank account balance and demand the banker give you what you'd prefer to have. We want truth from others like loved ones, doctors, courts, employers, teachers, road signs, medicine bottles, food labels, etc. We basically demand truth in every area of our lives, except for morality or religion. Why? The same two reasons we spoke about above the fear of being wrong, and the issue being dear to the heart. The relativist system that tries to make everyone happy by letting everyone do what they want, but there's a problem with this. For example, Islam believes that Jesus was a good prophet, only human. Well, that's a direct affront to Christianity, which believes Jesus is God. This would violate the law of non-contradiction, one of them must be true. Either Jesus is God, or he was just a human prophet. Here are some common self-contradicting arguments. There are no absolutes. Are you absolutely sure? There is no truth. Is that statement true? You can't know anything for sure. Are you sure about that? You shouldn't judge. Is that your judgment on the morality of judging? Nobody is right. But are you right? And if you are right, does that make your statement wrong? What is true for you is not true for me. If that's true, and what is true for me is that you are wrong, which one of us is right? The only truth that matters are those that can be known in and of themselves. Like 2 plus 2 is 4, or 
through our senses. Your principle that you're claiming does neither, so it fails by its own definition. We can't know anything in this world. How do you know that, since we're in this world? We cannot know truth. Is that true? Do you know it? Your view or truth is too narrow or exclusive. Wait, so are you excluding me from your view, or is your view too narrow to include mine? As you can tell, all of these arguments cave in on themselves. Now that relativism has been refuted, we are left with a worldview that confirms that there is objective and absolute truth in the world. Now the great question is, so what? Well, this affects everything. If there is a truth and morals, it matters to all of us. For example, if you are robbed, you desire truth. To show the stolen item was originally yours, the truth that showed that a person actually robbed you, and the truth to ensure that the thief will not lie his way out of the consequences. All those require truth and morality. Another reason it matters is that truth is associated with every choice we make. Sex, marriage, money, friendships, you name it, it includes some aspect of truth. Now, some do not want to accept that there is truth because of how pervasive it is. It invades every portion of life. Now, here is where we need to make a choice. We can either accept that there is truth and allow it to change us, or we can deny objective truth and commit intellectual suicide. I hope you choose the former. Let's go over a little bit of what truth is not. If you've stuck with us this far, congratulations. In this day and age, being willing to question what you believe and have a conversation is a great accomplishment. Before we define truth, we need to sort through what truth is not and how it cannot be found. Okay, so what about the claim truth is relative? We already toppled this one over, so we know this simply cannot be so. How about the claim truth is dictated by those in power? Well, there's a difference between power and truth. Human authority can be wrong. It has been many times before. This fallacy is called an argument from authority. What about the claim that truth is brought by communities? No, the common practice does not equate correctness. Even within communities, there are conflicts, and both sides cannot all be right. Remember the law of non-contradiction. There was a time when everyone believed the earth was flat. <laughs> After all, that wasn't quite right. This fallacy that truth is brought by communities is called an appeal to the majority. Another issue with the community one is that it ends up being the one before that. Mm -hmm. um, if I have more people in my community than you, which is kind of a power thing, then my community is right. I can squelch yours out. Right. Another fallacy is that humanity has the final say on truth. That sounds very nice and very poetic, but, and it has more promise than, than the previous one, to be honest, but it fails in the same way, just bigger. Uh, world religions collide, and so do many other conflicts, and they can't all be right. Some people go as far to say as there is no right or wrong, and this basically reduces truth to a preference. So, do not murder is the same as do not serve me pickles, because I don't like them. Mm 
It reduces ought or should to basically nothing to an opinion. This is very shaky ground, very shaky foundation, where evil people are basically set free to do wrong against everyone, and they are given permission to do it without any problems. So, problem with that one. Truth is found in whatever brings pleasure or comfort. This is called hedonism, the formal word. Uh, what brings pleasure is right, and what brings pain is wrong. However, not all pleasure is right. Take, for example, the statistic pleasure from torture. That is clearly bad. Or on the other side of the spectrum, not all pain is bad, like pain from working out or helping a friend move. Yeah, we keep using the word fallacy. I just wanted to clarify. That's basically a false claim, right? Or a false statement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. All right, so the next one we are going through is the claim that truth is indefinable. Well, that's like saying truth is only known through intuition. The issue here is that not all people have the same intuitions, which would make truth relative, and we already know that's not logical. The next claim is that truth can be known by the results. The big question here is results desired by whom and at what expense? Many results are desired by some and not others. The desire to have a Nintendo Switch may be good, but if I steal from my neighbor to obtain it, they have received a result that is unwanted, but I received what I wanted. We may all want a society that is free from genetic abnormalities, but killing all people with the potential for any abnormalities in the DNA would be horribly wrong. Another one is, truth is known through herd instinct. This claims that we're all animals and do what those around us are doing. This one has some issues. First, we are above animals in that we have reason, we can use logic, and we have creativity, and there are several other differences. Second issue with this one is that we often do good things that go against our instincts, like save someone at the risk of our own lives. Another handful of truth issues, if you want to call them that, is truth comes through sociological influences. Now, basically this says, truth comes from your parents or from your teachers. And this is not accurate because they can be wrong. Uh, for example, the parents who teach their kids that racism is right, they're wrong, that racism is a bad thing. Um, and while parents and teachers do help shape a person, they are influences. They are not where we get our decided free will um, understanding of truth. We have to decide um, what we choose. The next one is truth comes from culture. This can obviously be wrong. A prime example of this is seen in the Nazis. They all thought killing and torturing people for their race or ethnicity was right. Another example can be found in cannibals who culturally think killing people and eating them is perfectly fine. What about truth comes from a religion or belief system? Well, this one is a yes and a no. And <laughs> those people that know me know <laughs> that that's one of my favorite answers. Um, because a lot of times questions are good and answers are complex. Um, so there needs to be proof 
of some sort that what the religion says is truth. And this can be done through logic, science, evidence, etc. Many religions, for example, have justified oppressing the poor or those who believe differently. This would be wrong. Um, but there are truth systems that are correct in many different aspects. Okay, let's tackle some minor arguments on this final point about the religion thing before we continue. Some might say, you can't trust religious people because they have an agenda. Actually, that's right. Religious people do have agendas. But so does every other person who presents a worldview or idea, which is all of us. Their viewpoint is laced within their writings and spoken words. For example, if someone writes a book on behaviors of platypuses, it does not matter what their worldview is, evolution, creation, or whatever, there are some objective truths, or there should be, about platypus and the way that they act. That research is worth investigating, but they do personally have a worldview or set of ideas or data they'd like you to accept. And oftentimes they include that even in the factual book, they include their worldview. That's the reason any person writing anything for someone else to read includes that they're trying to put forth their beliefs. The point here is not that we can trust what all religions say. We do need to sift through all their claims to see what truth is. That's what we're asking you to do with us right now. All people in all religions make exclusive claims that they are right. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. So, now, at least, we know what truth is not. So, what is truth? Truth should be our ultimate goal, especially if it affects all areas of life. It is supremely important so that our worldview is consistent, and it touches everything, and it touches it well. So, a handful of definitions. First one, truth is absolute, meaning it is true for all, everywhere and at all times. Two plus two is four, and that is universally true, whether you're in Africa, in Europe, or in Antarctica. Truth is exclusive. When there is truth, it excludes all other claims that are contrary to it, to what is claiming. In other words, when I say two plus two is four, that also means two plus two is not 20. When we enter a world of facts, we enter a world of limits. An example, uh, the bookcase next to me is made of wood. This means reality says that it is made of wood. That is what I'm claiming reality to be. That means it is not made of metal, jello, animal furs, or bricks. <laughs> it is made of wood. I'm glad it's not made of jello. <laughs> it would be delicious. It wouldn't hold many books, though. It would not. We'd have to eat them out every time. It'd be kind of <laughs> disgusting. My poor books. Um, truth is also discovered. A person discovered the law of gravity. And a person discovered that water is composed of oxygen and hydrogen. They existed outside and before our discovery or ascension to that truth. Truth does not begin to be true when it is discovered. It is true before anyone knew it. Gravity didn't start when we discovered or put a name to it. Truth is also transcultural. It is not limited to one society, one race or one type of people, 
or one color of skin has been popular now. The claim that hungry polar bears will hunt humans applies to Mexicans, Asians, whites, blacks, young, old, rich, poor, past, present, doesn't matter. If you're a human, you need to be aware that a hungry polar bear might eat you. (laughs) So, that is a fact. Truth is unchanging. Truth remains true. No matter the circumstances are around it, if somebody starts shouting, saying your truth is wrong, and it is true, that does not change the truth. Yeah. So to get ahead of some future debate that's probable to come up, we can expand the definition of what truth is or is not a little bit further. Truth is not emotional. I can feel like a dragon, but no matter how much I believe and love that desire, it simply does not line up with reality. Our desires and emotions have no impact on objective truth. Truth trumps any subjective experience. So gravity is true, even though a friend of a friend believes he had an experience of 1.73 seconds of weightlessness. Also, we know that sincerity does not equal truth. I can sincerely believe that 4 plus 4 equals 2, but I would be sincerely wrong. Truth does not include preferences. Even if I know that blue is the best color, actually green is the best color, and it is, it cannot be verified empirically. It's a good preference that I like green and my husband likes blue, but my liking it does not make it truth. (laughs) Truth should be approached without a bias. If I come to search for truth with an answer and a pre-existing this is what I want instead of a question, I have a bias. And no matter what research I do, I will subconsciously or consciously dismiss anything that goes against my already established conclusion, and I will approve of everything that aligns to my bias. Remember, truth is discovered, not forced. I love a little comic strip uh, that basically shows a guy in front of a, a computer saying, you know, I've looked on both sides, now I'm really going to do some research. And then the next screen shows a Google page, and it says, literally the first link that agrees with what you already believe. (laughs) And the guy pulls his glasses down and says, jackpot. Um, It's basically saying that this guy was biased. He wanted an answer. He went with his answer, and that was it. That's what he wanted. Um, Another thing that we'll expand more in apologetics is that truth should not be hidden. In other words, think of of a child that did something wrong with their parents. Uh, The first thing as a parent, and any parent that's listening to this will know, that a child will typically do is they'll try to hide that thing. Um, If they took something they weren't supposed to, if they did something they weren't supposed to, there's always this this thing that they try to do to try to hide, that that somehow if you hide the truth, it'll not be discovered. So we will say, um, as being Christians, uh, search for the truth, like dig, confirm that what we're saying is wrong or right. Unfortunately, we see a lot of people not only hiding the truth, but trying to hide other people that are saying the truth. And this applies to so many different people. So 
a good gauge. If somebody is telling you to not listen to anyone and not let you think, they're probably hiding something. They're probably lying and they probably don't have the truth. Two more points and then we can move on. First one is truth has no exceptions. It applies to everyone. I love a sign in a school I used to go to that said, do not step on the grass. And no matter what time of the day, I would always find somebody stepping on the grass, right where it said, do not step. And surely everybody that stepped on it said, well, I'm late for class, or this doesn't apply to me, or this is everyone else's rule, or there should be a walkway here. So I'm going to help <laughs> out and, you know, dig the dirt. Um, they're making an exception for themselves, but this does not work with truth. When you try to do that, you always fail. Point number two, truth needs to be applied or it's useless head knowledge. I can have a verified, tied to reality, absolute way anyone can make a million dollars. I can be an expert in the method and know all the ins and outs, but if I don't apply it, the million will never be mine. Truth is any belief story, ideal, or statement that matches up with reality or corresponds to the way things really are. Truth is true, even if others don't acknowledge it. Truth is not merely what works. Sometimes what works is wrong. Can we act against a known truth? Yes, absolutely. I know that lying is wrong, yet I sometimes do it to get away from the consequences that I do not want to face. This does not make the truth any less true. It just makes me someone that went against the known truth. Okay, how exactly can we test truth? We've gone through some pretty hard-hitting definitions, but these are characteristics of truth. How can we test that? Everything that is said, written, or thought is not truth, but how can we know what is true? How do we test the truth? How do we know that something is true or not? Well, the first test is called the correspondence theory. It's just a term which tells us that we must ask if a claim matches up with reality. It's saying that we need to test our claims. Children love pretending they can fly, but as soon as they test their theory, they're met with reality, which leaves them falling. Another way of testing truth is called the coherence theory. This one is a little harder to define, but stick with me. The simplest way I've found to say it is that truth needs to match up with everything around it. If I say cats can breathe underwater, let's test that against reality. Cats do not have gills, cats are mammals, and house cats generally don't even like water, so my theory does not match up with observable reality. So always test if a claim can exist alongside other discovered truths. Is the truth claim logically consistent? Does it line up with logic? To say I ate the sunlight in the forest demands a metaphorical read. There's obviously no chewing or grabbing involved, or digesting. The saying does not pass the logic test in its literal sense. Truth should not contradict itself. Another test is called empirical adequacy. Can it be empirically verified? This is a basis of science to test if something is true or not. Can you actually run a test or experiment of some sort to determine the truth of the claim or the hypothesis? Yet another test is called the experiential 
relevance test. <clears throat> Does the claim work in real life? It's, it's a very practical one. Substance abuse leads to emptiness. This aligns to the experience of most substance abusers, especially over time. So that is the experience of substance abuse. So that claim seems to align to reality. Now, these are good guides to know what is truth. You're not going to be able to pass all these tests every time. But if you want to know truth, the more tests you pass, the more likely it is true. Truth exists, and it cannot be denied. But getting to the truth takes work. Since there is truth, whose truth do we follow? How do we know which claim is the truth? We need to remember that there are no conclusions that are 100% verified true. Let's take gravity. We know it makes everything fall down. But have we observed everything fall to the power of gravity? No. But we have a pretty high confidence level in this belief. There are degrees of trusting the conclusions. There's a great possibility, very great possibility, probability, uh, that gravity works all around the world and all the time on all objects. Most people would confidently say that. Now, what we hope to do here is to take the greatest probable truth, expound on it for all to see with as much respect and gentleness as we can muster to all the other views. Sometimes this will include hard sayings. Sometimes the truth is harsh. But the truth is worth fighting for and worth learning. Yeah, so what about morality? Um, some people maybe don't like thinking about morals. They feel confined. We will tackle this topic as well uh, all throughout the site. Morals are absolute truth claims. For example, murder is wrong is a statement that claims that all people who commit murder are wrong and all who say that murder is acceptable are also wrong. As such, we can align claims of morality to the same characteristics that we found in truth, absolute, not emotional, transcultural, etc. Remember, we need a consistent worldview to not be hypocritical. Here's one of the places where the rubber actually meets the road. We can say a refusal to judge our own morality is moral cowardice, intellectual laziness, plain confusion, or a desire to live the way we want without concern for others. Most moral relativists are quite confused in their own thought process. They think that all is fair game when they act, but they mostly quickly turn their switches when an unfair act is being committed against them. The claim of moral relativists ultimately means that Hitler, who tortured and killed millions of Jews, was just as right as the person who gives up their time to serve the diseased and hurting. This simply does not add up. As we saw above, to claim there's no right or wrong is a self-refuting argument. The person claiming this is saying that it is wrong to judge in this way, making the claim of a wrong, hence contradicting himself. Now, we are basically going to touch on this very little here. We'll make a, a stronger case for morality when we talk about ethics. But we all have a set of morals in us from birth. We can strain and distort this set, but it was in there. We innately know what is fair and not. We can blame other sources for our faults, but inside, we know it was us. When we align morality to truth, it has no issues. 
If we do not, we end up with problems. For example, if morality is just based on human preference, and humans at one point did not exist, this means morality did not exist before humans. So far, so good. And that means that humans invented it. But if this is so, there is no basis for any morality. We can do whatever we want, and we should. If this is the only life we have to live, it doesn't matter who gets hurt or who gets in our way. We should just do what we want and find pleasure to its maximum right now, because this is the only life we have. Yet, even if someone claims to have been raised by wolves in the darkest forest of Africa and rapes a woman, he will not get very far in the court of justice. We have an inbuilt moral meter. We can see the product of these false teachings even now in many countries. We see liars, cheaters, enormous companies full of false records, and so very much more. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Abolition of Man, In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. In other words, we have a culture that makes fun of good and then expects good, which is illogical. These themes are just the beginning of what we'll be sifting through as we work through the podcast and all the material that we hope to uh, talk to in this podcast. It is acknowledging the truth and morality that exists and is present in the world and then aligning ourselves with what the evidence shows. So, just from this section, we can see the most probable outcome is to have something outside of our world to supply truth and morality. It is the only way truth can exist outside of ourselves. We need an author of truth and of morality. The question is, did this come from chance? Is there a higher being? Is there a theory out there so probable that it can be trusted as true? We believe so. And we'll spend the rest of the podcast demonstrating this. Hope you enjoy.